0: I'm going to pick up where I left off last week. We were talking about the ministry gifts. Tonight I want to look at the purpose. I mentioned it started just a little bit last week, but I want to kind of pick up there. The purpose of ministerial gifts. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll look at this. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity to open your precious word. I pray that you'd help us tonight to rightly divide thy word, to make application to our lives for our good and thy, glorious, thy glory. We do pray that you help us, Father, to... Uh, Just be faithful in that part which you have given each of us to do in your body, we do pray in Jesus' name, amen. So the purpose of ministerial uh, gifts, and we looked at this a little bit last week, and of course he gave some apostles and some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, and we explained what all that was Um, in, of course, evangelists we would call missionaries today. Uh, pastors and teachers could be the same person or persons. Of course, there's others that teach as well in the church. But the, the, the purpose for these gifts are for, first of all, the perfecting of the saints. And the word perfecting, I mentioned this last week, means really to equip, to furnish. Uh, you know, before we send soldiers off to war, we furnish or equip them with skill and weapons for the job we want them to do. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9 7, who goeth a warfare at his own charge? You know, we don't, you know, we do have a volunteer army, military, and but they don't go at their own expense. They don't provide their own equipment. They are furnished with the And they were furnished not only with the equipment necessary, but with the skill to use that equipment. And how to use it, and when to use it. And we have been given a weapon, a spiritual weapon, and the Bible calls refers to itself as the sword of the spirit. The sword of the spirit. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13. The Bible says, uh, For the word of God is quick and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, still referring to the word of God, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So the Bible here pictures the the Word of God itself as a two-edged sword that cuts every way you turn it, and it it gets to the heart of the matter. Uh, so the question tonight is, you know, the, the the ministerial gifts are for the perfecting or the equipping of the saints. Uh, so. To equip with skill in using and and understanding of your sword. You know, if you're going to be effective in in combat, you have to know your weapon, and you have to know how to use it. You have to know know about your weapon. You are going to know how to take care of it. How to maintain it. how it works, some knowledge of how it works. You know, do we understand the word of God? Do we understand the word of God? You know, there's many people that don't have a good understanding of the word of God. For example, let me give you a few illustrations of some problem passages for some people. John chapter 6, verse 53, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye shall have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at that last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat man and are dead. He that eateth this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many therefore his disciples, when they heard this saying, said, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? Now, if you would stop right there, it appears we have a problem. Because you've got to eat Jesus. And drink his blood. But you know, if you... If you've read enough of the Bible, you'll begin to understand that sometimes the Bible uses parables, or what we call allegories, in other words, word pictures, and that's what Jesus is doing here. In fact, and and usually what it is, the, the answer comes out if you continue reading. So let's continue reading. When Jesus knew in himself, verse 61, the disciples murmured this, at it, He said unto them, Does this offend you? What and if you'll see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the flesh that quickeneth, I'm sorry, it is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So he's talking about spiritual things and not literal his blood and literal his meat. But what does the Roman Catholic Church teach? That when you serve the Lord's table and the priest prays over that wafer and that liquor that they serve, that alcohol makes men drunk. That's why a lot of them are drunks. Anyway, when they pray over that, it actually becomes the body and the blood of Christ. So that you're actually eating the Lord's body and you're actually drinking his blood. There was a guy who pastored up in Duncansville, Pennsylvania for a few years. And there was actually an advertisement for communion at, a I think it was a Catholic church or a Lutheran church. I'm not sure exactly what it was. Anyway, and they said that you should not leave the the building for 15 minutes. Because you'll take the body and blood of Christ out after you take the Lord's Supper. That's weird, to say the least. But see, this is a misinterpretation. In other words, there's a lack of understanding here of what the scriptures mean or what Jesus meant when he said, Ye shall eat my blood. In other words, it was he that was going to give his life for the world. He's saying, I am the bread of life. I am like bread that gives... Uh, Just like bread is a staple for giving life, sustaining human life, physical life, he said, I am the one that gives eternal life or spiritual life. That's all he was saying. And my blood is that which will give you eternal life. It will wash away your sin. He said the words are spirit and they are life. Flesh profiteth nothing. Let's look at another one. Go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. says, And the way a day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared unto them cloven tongues, like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. They were all filled with Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, notice, out of every nation under heaven. Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man Heard them speak in his own language. They were all amazed and marveled, saying one another, Behold, are not all these Galileans who speak? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. Now, verse 4, it says, They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. Now, Charismatics like to take this passage and others similar to it that speak about tongues and say it was a language that that they didn't know, which was true. Those who were speaking it hadn't, hadn't learned this language before, but it was a language that was understood by some that were there. And, and so they'll, they'll take this passage and others and say that, that, that uh, uh, speaking in tongues in an un, unfamiliar language or an unintelligible language is a gift or proof that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. But the Bible really doesn't say anywhere that they spoke in a language that nobody understood. In fact, it says here very clearly, verse 6, Now when this was noise abroad, the multitude came together and were confined, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. Some own language. Again in verse 8, And how we hear every man in our own tongue wherein we were born. Verse 11 again, And Cretes and Arabians do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. So, the, you know, yes, it was a miracle in the fact that the disciples could speak these different languages that were represented there at Jerusalem in that day that came from all over the known world. It, yes, it was a miracle, but it was, it was understandable languages. And it was done for the purpose of proving that these men were of God and for the spreading of the gospel to all the various parts of the world that was represented that day it has nothing to do with speaking in an unknown tongue they were known languages now go to chapter two and verse 38 verse 37 38 And there are churches, Church of Christ in particular, that teaches that to be saved you have to be baptized. And this is a verse they use. It says, now when they heard this, verse 37, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Okay, so just stop right there for a minute. So if you read that just casually, you would say, that for the remission of sins, you have to be baptized. However, the word for doesn't necessarily mean that so that you are. It means on the account of or because of. So so on the account of the remission of sins, you shall receive the Holy Ghost. Let's 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 read on. Again, it clarifies this. Read on. For the promises unto you and to your children, to all that are far off, even as many as our Lord our God shall call. Many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, "Save yourselves from this untoward generation." Notice verse forty-one. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about three thousand souls. So they that received the word of God, we, to receive the word of God is receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. They had received the message, repent. And receive Christ. And then he says, then they were baptized and added to the church. And of course there's other verses of scripture that, that tell us, that uh, clarify to us that salvation Comes before baptism, and that baptism is does not is not required for salvation. Um, So these these are you know we can ask ourselves how well do we understand or how well do we we know our weapon our word the word of God. Do you know how to use it? You know, 1 Peter 3.15 says, well, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that I ask you of the reason the hope is in you with meekness and fear. Well, somebody come up to you and said, I don't think you can know that you're saved. Do you have an answer? Could you give an answer? You see, this is, this is why we have pastors and teachers to equip us, to instruct us. You know, could you give an answer? If somebody says to you, I don't think you can know you're saved. Sheldon Hutchinson and I were out visiting one time in visitation, and, and uh, he was talking at this door, and this lady came to the door, and he asked something about if, if she knew that she was, if she, if she was saved or if, he, if she would go to heaven with asked or something like that. And he, she said, no, do you? And he said, Yes, I do. And we began to give her some verses. First John five thirteen says, These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that you have eternal life. And that you believe on the name of the Son of God. You know, could you give an answer? Well, I just think you know, there are people I just think whatever will be, will be. Do you have an answer for that? John 1 12 says, He came unto His own, but His own received Him not. That's a choice. God requires us, we have to make a choice. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in us, believe in His name. Well, I, preacher, I was baptized. Okay? But John 1.12 again says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name. Uh, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him, doesn't say anything by baptism, shall not perish but have everlasting life. It just says believeth in him. Of course, Mark 16 tells us, He that believeth and baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Baptism is evidence of a person's salvation, but it does not save you. It is not a requirement for salvation, it's just evidence. It's an outward testimony that you're saying, I am saved and I'm identifying with Christ through the waters of baptism. But it doesn't say. Oh, People say all the time, "Why pray every day. Cornelius did too. He was a lost man. And the angel said, you send for Peter, who shall tell thee words that you need to hear. And Peter came and preached the gospel, and Cornelius got saved. Cornelius prayed every day. He was a religious man. Religious people die and go to hell every day. I mean, Muslims pray every day. Muslims do a lot of praying. At least the rituals. But the prayer doesn't get any higher in the ceiling. So it is for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry. Uh, so it is for the equipping. Secondly, it is uh, the ministerial gifts are for the to promote unity in the church. And of course, the church. When we talk about the church, we're talking about uh, a local church, a body of Christ. It says in verse 13, "Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ." So the word unity really means agreement. And he talks about the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So we need, you know, the the purpose of the ministerial gifts, pastors and teachers, is to promote unity or agreement in doctrine about the person of Christ and practical Christian living. You know, some words here will define. Of course, the word "perfect" means until we rise to the same level of knowledge which we ascribe to a full-grown man. So it's talking about when we become likened to a mature person. Uh, The word measure, he says, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The word measure means the required measure, or that which is due or fit. Which would mean, it would be a, a standard that is proper for a child of God. Of mature age. Of maturity. Uh, and, of course, the fullness, fullness of the body refers to the church, uh, which is filled with the presence of power and the, the riches of God in Christ. So, so we can sum that all up together to say that we're, is to promote unity, the growth, and the progressing in maturity of God's people in the church. You know, when we're all growing in the same direction, we're all feeding off the same food source. There's going to be unity in the church. You know what? You know what creates disunity in a church is is when some members start getting their doctrine elsewhere than the church. You see, the church, Paul wrote to Timothy and said, the church is to be the pillar and ground of the truth. He's talking about the local church. I remember an evangelist saying one time, he, used to, he pastored for 29 years in Mount Union, Pennsylvania, and that was when Jerry Falwell Sr. was popular. There was a guy at the bottom of the hill, right down the road from his church, Listened to Jerry Falwell. Sent Jerry Falwell money. And he said, funny, I said to him, he said, he said well, when, when you get in the hospital, you call Jerry Falwell. When your daughter gets married, you call Jerry Falwell, which he did. It cost him $10,000, but he did it. Uh, you know, when, you, when, when you're dying, you call Jerry Falwell. And, you know, and he was always in argument with the preacher because he was listening to Jerry Falwell. No. We get our doctrine from the church. That's the that's the agency God has ordained to teach the truth. Teach the truth. And for us to progress in our maturity, that's why it's so important that we be faithful to the house of the Lord or to the God's church. Uh, thirdly, it is protect, it is he's given the ministry gifts to protect from predators. Notice verse 14. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. The word children here means unskilled or untaught. Of course, carried about has idea, i.e. in doubt and hesitation to be led away now to this opinion and now to that. Wind means variability or emptiness of teaching. The word slight comes from dice play. Dice players sometimes cheated and defrauded their fellow players. That's part of the game. It's like gambling. The reality of it is and this is sad but the reality of it is there are men and women who are set on leading you astray. And leading you into error. Away from the truth of the word of God. And of course one of the greatest deceptions that is used is they mix truth with error. To make it not look so obviously wrong. You know, we have the entertainment gospel of Hollywood. We have the prosperity gospel of people like Reverend Ike. And the emotional emotional or charismatic gospel of charismatics. And we have the motivational gospel of guys like um, um, Smiley, what's his name? Joelstein. It's all about motivating you to a better life. But at the end of the message, you just tax in there. If if you if you would like to believe on Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you just, just say this little prayer and you'll be part of the family. Th- See preacher, you, you sure you know? Yeah, I watched it here not too long ago. Um, if it wasn't so sickening, it'd be entertaining. But, 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 uh, you know, a shepherd is to protect his sheep from wolves, and there are wolves that are without, and there are parasites within. You know what a parasite is? It's like a tick. It attaches itself to you and feeds off of you. That's a parasite. You know, that's why we must guard the door of church membership. You know, Peter said this in 2 Peter 2, 1, that in the last days uh, there would be false prophets also among the people, and as even as there shall be false teachers among you who shall privately bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, uh, John tells us, Beloved... Believe not every spirit. The word spirit there means every doctrine, every teaching, or every wind of doctrine. Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are going out in the world. Now, understand, this is is probably around 90 A.D. already. And Apostle John is still living, and he says there's many false prophets in the world. And Paul said when he wrote to Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 17. For we we are not as many which corrupt the word of God. You know, we could talk about the corruptions that have come to the word of God and men trying to change the word of God. But there were corruptions already taking place 60, 70 A.D. Within 30, 40 years after Christ walked this earth. In fact, money has said that probably the worst corruptions came in that time period. All the seeds of the heretical doctrines we have now were came to pass in that time period. You have know, the church fathers. People talk about the church fathers. You ever study the church fathers? All I got to say is, what a heretical bunch. Uh, Let me give you a few examples. Irenaeus. This is 125 to 202 AD is when he lived. He was a pastor in Lyons, France. Wrote uh, a, a book titled Heresies by 185. And this is some of the things he did. He supported the authority of a bishop as a ruler over many churches. He defended church tradition beyond what the scripture allows. For this reason, he is claimed by the Roman Catholic Church of one of their own. So he was a universal church guy already this early date. He taught the Catholic heresy of real presence saying the Eucharist becomes the body of Christ. Just what I was talking about a while ago. So there you already have the seeds before 200 A.D. of the Roman Catholic Church which really didn't come back until about 500 A.D. Got in full swing. Of course Augustine 400 uh, taught a lot of those things. So this is very early. Uh, you know, of course he was ta- talked about the authority of a bishop as a ruler over many churches so that was, that was like a denominational authority already uh, taking head which Revelation refers to as the doctrine of the Nicolaitans and Jesus said which I hate I hate it see that would be like having Pastor Webb telling me and us what to do now they are our mother church but I, you know, him and I chuckled about this, chuckled about this one time. Soon after he, I was voted in here as pastor, he told somebody in the church uh, that they need to call me and, you know, they don't need to call him anymore. And he said we kind of laughed about it, and we laughed about it too. I said, you know, sometimes, you know, people say, you know, I've asked about if they could, you know, talk to him or what. I said, sure, that's fine. But he has no authority here. We don't believe in popes. Or bishops? Clement, 150 to 230, uh, intermingled the philosophy of Plato and Christianity. He helped develop the doctrine of purgatory. believed that most men would eventually be saved. Uh, Tertullian, 155 to 255, he lived in Carthage, North Africa. And... uh, It says he uh, he, uh, believed that the bread of the Lord's Supper was Christ and worried about dropping crumbs of it on the ground. Uh, He believed that Montanism, believing that Montanists spoke prophecies by inspiration of God, so he was adding to the scriptures. He he taught that widows who remarried, widows, widows that remarried committed fornication. So if your spouse died, you weren't allowed to get married again. That's not what the Bible teaches. He taught that baptism is for the forgiveness of sins. So there you have baptism and regeneration. And we could go on and on and on. Uh, You see, what I'm saying is, there there are those who would lead you astray from the truth. But you know, when you stay in the church, there's protection there. Because the church edifies itself. We'll get to that in a little minute. But the church edifies itself and corrects itself what would happen if I began to preach some spurious doctrine do you think anything would happen here I hope there would Uh, but there would so it is to protect the flock then third fourthly I got to move Proclaim the truth in love. Verse 15. Speaking the truth in love may grow up in them in all things, which is the head even Christ. So we are to preach the truth. In other words, the whole counsel of God. Paul said in Acts chapter 20 verse 27 that I have declared unto you the whole counsel of God. Uh, He told Timothy to hold fast the faithful word. Uh, He told Titus. Uh, to hold fast a faithful word and to convince the gainsayers. He said, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Peter in 1 Peter 5, 2 said, feed the flock of God. In other words, the flock needs some food of substance for proper growth. They need everything. They need a balanced diet. You know, your children, I don't think any of you parents just fed your children all ice cream. Now, when I was growing up, I used I, I said, I always said this, when I was growing up, and it never happened because I got smarter, at least I think I did, that I was always going to have ice cream in the freezer. We have never always had ice cream in the freezer since I've been on my own. And it was even before I was married. I didn't have that. You know, I lived, my brother and I batched for a while. Uh, you know, I, I got some sense. That you, can't just, you can't live on ice cream. For good growth. No you need a. You need a balanced diet. And preaching is not to make you happy. But holy. Spiritually healthy. And spiritually wise. And so you need not just parts. But all of it. I don't think you want to come to church. And get a happy meal do you? Or my wife says a bag of Doritos. She says you need to go study. We don't want a bag of Doritos, you know. Uh, <laughs> but you know that, that the, a pastor has to feed the flock of God. There's there, there's this article I found on on the uh, on the web. I was looking at something one day and I found this, and it said three things a pastor must do. And the first one was he must feed the people. Jesus was fairly explicit about this in closing sentence of John's gospel: "Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep." If he only said it twice, we might wiggle him. But the three-peat kind of nega- the three-peak kind of negates any plans to say, we didn't know it mattered. What are you feeding the sheep? Of course, the entire circus of felt need, therapeutic preaching is like pita bread at a Super Bowl party. But beyond the obvious, what really does feed sheep? Scripture and only scripture feeds the sheep, but even among those who claim biblical fidelity and preach the word, As appropriate descriptors of their public ministry, are your sheep really fed? Reading a text and then waxing elegant about its theme does not feed sheep. Raising a contemporary subject of interest to the masses and unfolding it with biblical post-it notes at every turn does not feed sheep. Simply explaining the meaning of the text in a formulaic classroom kind of what it says, what it means, detachment definitely does not feed the sheep. In my experience, the best feeding which produces the most satisfied sheep comes from a message formed in, saturated with, and continually connected to an extended portion of a single passage of God's word where the main point comes from a paragraph and the supporting points come from its verses. And the content of those points is the content of the individual verses. So you take a paragraph and you get... And you have one main theme and get all your points to support that main theme from that paragraph. You know, Pastor Webb is a strong proponent of that, and that's what he does week after week after week. In his book on, on uh, preaching, Thomas McBride Nichols said this, The real reason we have so little expository preaching is that it requires more labor than the average minister can give the pulpit without sliding the rest of his work. He simply has not time for it. Uh, Some of the minor truths, the less conspicuous subjects, which nevertheless have their importance, might never be approached in the pulpit were it not for the expository sermon. But the more to the point is the fact that this style of preaching helps people. Uh, I don't have time to read all of this, but um, he says, expository preaching also familiarizes men with the Bible. It broadens their acquaintance with facts and factors of revelation, introducing them to scenes and putting them on intimate terms with characters of whose existence they were scarcely aware. This method inculcates truth wholesale, not piecemeal. In the allopathic doses rather than homeopathic pellets, how a small portion of the Bible would be covered in a year if we preach only from scattered verses. How little system there will be in our sermonizing under such conditions. On the other hand, might we not, by expository preaching, splendidly illumine whole sections of Revelation for those who have neither the time nor the training to expand it on their own account. Now best of all, sermons of this sort stimulate men to search the scriptures for themselves. The more we know the Bible, the more we want to know. You know, I was in a church, our family was in a church a number of years ago, and I think the pastor preached out of Psalms. And he preached, his basic, his theme was, I guess you'd call it, that you people need to say hallelujah once in a while. I mean, that's the only thing I got from it. Hallelujah! Yeah, that's what I. It, it didn't even want me to. It didn't even want me to make me want to say Hallelujah. I felt like I went away from the dinner table without eating, and I can still remember some of the message, messages Pastor Webb preached at a Bible conference in Maryland fifteen years ago. Because there was substance to it. You see, preaching like I'm doing through a book of the Bible takes time. But you don't get little happy meals here and there. You get the whole thing. And I have to preach on the things that I like and the things I don't like. And the things you like and the things you don't like. But that if you're going to eat a balanced diet, that's the way you have to eat. I don't particularly care for tomatoes. But they say they're good for you. So I put a slice in my sandwich, and I put pieces of them in my salad. But to eat them just with a slice of bread, forget it. I don't care if you have Duke mayonnaise on it. I don't want it. No, we're to proclaim the truth in love. We need to be spiritually fed, and then lastly, for the promotion of a healthy body. Notice verse sixteen: "From whom the whole body, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying itself in love." Now, when you were growing up, what did you always want? You always wanted to be bigger. You wanted to become an adult. You know, there were certain stages in your life that, you know, when you were a certain age, you, you, shot, you, you wanted your driver's license, to be big enough to get your driver's license. And then after you got your driver's license, you wanted to grow enough and be, be mature enough to get, you know, to graduate and, and then maybe get a job or, or, you know, or do something. There was always something that you're shooting for. You wanted to grow. I haven't met a kid yet that wants to stay little. I met some adults that wish they were little, but I haven't met any kids that wish they stay want to stay little. They want to grow. And the purpose of the ministerial gifts—one of the purposes—is the promotion of a healthy body or a healthy church. The church is a body, and so we want a healthy church. Notice he describes it as fitly joined together, and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. In order to walk, every part, all my joints, from head to toe, have to function properly. Now, I could lose certain ones and relearn to walk if if i lost a big toe i probably had to sort of learn to walk again cuz it affect it would affect my balance i probably wouldn't be able to walk across the rafters on the roof anymore i have enough trouble with that now uh but but you know there'd be things i wouldn't be able to do cuz it would affect my walking because not everything is working right you know if i you know my dad he's 90 years old and and uh his, his, his joints the, 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 the grease in his joints is gone <laughs> and so we want a church that every part of the body does its function and that's why it's so important that we all seek to mature in our walk with the Lord, be faithful to the house of God, hear the exposition of God's word, whether it's from the pulpit or in Sunday school, uh, you know, and, and, and to promote a healthy body. You know, the desire of a church is to have second and third generation families. We're, 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 we're working on that here. Uh, you know I often went to church and I, I look, look at, when I look at churches I go to the mission board you know the board on the wall I'm not for mission boards but you know the board on the wall where the missionaries are all posted and what kind of missionaries are they supporting uh, does, does a church practice church discipline or are they church junkies you know I made mean my church junkies you know, do, they, do they examine potential members or take, just take anyone in you wouldn't just take anything into your body. I hope not. Uh, is a church reproducing itself? You know. Notice, notice again here what it says. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself. You know, every church ought to be reproducing itself. That's evidence of a healthy church. You know, we're doing that through missions right now, already. And we are, you know, we have sent one out of our church to the mission field. We are reproducing ourselves in Taiwan. So, so that's, the, that's, you know, another, again, the purpose is to re- promote a healthy body, to promote growth. That we might have a mature church that works together to increase itself. Increase itself. You know, every one of us desires that all our body parts work together for our good, to their potential. Now, you and I are the parts. Lighthouse Baptist Church. Yeah, are we doing our part? And he says, and I will conclude with this he says, making increase of in the body under the edifying of itself in love. And I and I just thought there was something where I come up with it, but just throw it out there. The love is like the oil that keeps the engine lubricated for efficient operation. You know truth, truth you know we have to have truth, but truth can be cold and it's straightforward and dogmatic. But we're to speak the truth in love. And love is like the oil in the engine. It's not what makes it run, but it's what keeps it running. You know you can run an engine without oil. But it ain't gonna run very long. It's gonna seize up. It's gonna seize up. You know, all you need to run an engine is gas and spark. It'll run. But if you don't put any oil in it, it's gonna seize up. And love is like the oil that lubricates. You know, Jesus said, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love. One for another, oh, and we need to grow. And the purpose of the gifts to the church, ministerial gifts, is to bring us to a place of maturity that the body functions together. Every part working for the increase of the one body. Might God help us be faithful in doing that which is our part? Let's pray.